<laughs> Hello, everybody. This is... So many wrong notes. So many wrong notes. That was my teacher voice. That's a good teacher voice. So, we should acknowledge something very special. I'm seeing you face to face. Yes. I can touch you. Yes, you can. Touch. Don't touch me. Because <laughs> <laughs> normally we're doing these over Skype, but by some miracle, we're both drinking beers and... You are not drinking a beer right now. I'm drinking a soda and Jeanette is drinking a beer. And we're you know... Face to face. It's amazing how on Skype I don't get the nuances of your dirty looks. <laughs> like here I can see everything. It's less intimidating than I thought it would be. <laughs> what? what is that supposed to mean? Nothing. Like, why am I, why am I intimidating, first of all? Shit. <laughs> Your butt just made a sound. It did. You're not intimidating, but I can actually punch you now, so I'm less scared. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Okay. <laughs> so anyways. But, so anyways, we're actually face-to-face -face here in Garth Newell in Hot Springs, Virginia, about to record an episode. Well, Franny's in between gigs, so that's kind of passing yeah. by. Passing by. Yeah. Anyway. What is the Asian stereotype, Asian music student stereotype? As in playing-wise or behavior? I think let's handle Start them with, all. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's sort of playing-wise because yeah. that's probably um, the most strong stereotype. I would say um, people think that Asians are very disciplined and uh, technically perfect, but rather emotionless, like to the point where it's not expressive mm -hmm. or not musical. Like that's not a strong suit. The strong suit is cleanliness and yeah, perfection. Exactly. Chops with no soul, as they say. <laughs> I mean, I learned today that Long Long was called Bang Bang. Yeah. That's news to me. I didn't know that either. Maybe they just made it up. I should say Ling Ling is called Bang Bang because that rhymes. <laughs> you don't say Bong Bong. <laughs> bong Bong. <laughs> So what is it specifically about that playing stereotype that makes you angry? Oh, it makes me angry on so many levels because I do not identify with that playing type at all. And it sucks to be already prejudged before you step on stage. Yeah. Like people see you and they don't hear a single note and they think, oh, she must play this way. And I mean, there are many reasons why that stereotype started. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of it stems to the fact that we were pushed very hard when young to practice a lot mm -hmm. and to get the notes down. But to think that we don't have expression is the worst insult you can give to a yeah. musician. Yeah. Um, specifically because I think I, I'm not clean at all. I'm not at all technically <laughs> yeah. perfect. But I think that I always give it my all <laughs> in exactly. terms of emotion yeah well i mean the reason that i get angry about this stereotype mm -hmm. is that it falls under the whole model minority thing that yeah. i find very insulting mm -hmm. that white people essentially put us in this box yeah and therefore assume that all of us are in this box yeah and i just it gets me angry i think it does an injustice to white people who have really clean technique. Right, right? yeah. 
and white people who may not be that expressive, frankly. Right. Right. It's insulting to them as well as it's insulting to us. Well, yeah, because one would assume that if Asians are perfect, technically, then yeah. white people are just sloppy uh, at a base level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just to say white people are lazier than Asians. That is a stereotype as yeah. well. Um, which is so not true. It is not. Yeah. Um, but I think what you said earlier about this stereotype being imposed on us mm -hmm. was, I think that's the best word, is imposed on us. Yeah. We're considered a type before we're considered an individual. Um, mm. And I think that is a problem for all sort of racial stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, big in music school, though. That definitely. And it's like, you know, people are people. Yeah. regardless of race you know this might sound a little naive and cheesy but <laughs> whatever it's okay you are like that i know shut up <laughs> i am not naive sometimes i am cheesy I you do have rose-colored sunglasses i saw that in your glove compartment <laughs> rendered <laughs> speechless always in victory <laughs> What was I talking about? I'm sorry, I don't remember. <laughs> oh yeah, so this might be a little bit naive or cheesy, mm -hmm. but I just feel like we're all the same. Like we have the same emotions, yeah. we're capable of empathizing, mm -hmm. right? And if you put people in a box, it actually takes away empathy. Mm -hmm. So I have a feeling that we're accused we Asians are accused of being expressionless because people put us in a technically perfect box. Yeah, uh, it definitely. And um, I mean, it, it, you said human nature, and it's true. You want to put things in boxes because then you can organize it, right? Mm. Um, but another thing that people say about music is that it's the universal language, right? And so nobody should be exempt from understanding and interpreting a certain style. Yeah. A lot of the music we play is written by dead white men. Mm -hmm. It's a Western tradition. It's not an Eastern tradition. And so people see an Asian interpreting a Western piece like Beethoven or Mozart, and they think, oh, they can't understand it because it's not their culture. Yeah. It's not their place. They'd look so different from the person who wrote that piece. Exactly. Yeah. And then turn it around, though, actually, and white mm -hmm. people are getting Chinese characters tattooed on themselves. Which is equally yeah, ridiculed. Which, which yeah. is, and it's also like they go to one sushi restaurant and they know exactly what all yeah. Asian... So... <laughs> Can I tell you about all the white men that I've gone on dates with who are like, oh, I love sushi. Oh, I love Asian food. General Toe's chicken, my favorite. <laughs> 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 By the way, I also do love General Tso's chicken. Who doesn't? It's a fried it's meat. A, yeah, it's great. But yeah, it's not a good representation of Asian food. And just because they've eaten at a restaurant doesn't mean... Well, also, I'm not Japanese. Well, that Get too. Get your ethnicity yeah, straight, too. That too. Where yeah, are you from? Colorado. Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. Well, patrons here because they're older. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and I say Cleveland, Ohio, and they say, no, where are you really from? Yeah. And I continue to say Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> <laughs> because I am not going to play that game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish I were braver, because that happens to me constantly. Mm. Like, where are you from? No, where are you really from? 
I just pretend I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I don't understand what you're getting at. I'm really from Ohio. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is that we are very culturally American because we were born here. Yeah. I mean, I went back to Korea and I couldn't consider myself a Korean. Oh, yeah. Because the culture was so different. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both first generation. Yeah, we're both first generation. But the odd thing that I was going to say was that then there were a lot of times growing up and even still now yeah. where I don't feel uniquely American either because no. I've been pushed out of the American uh checkbox i guess exactly because of the way we look yeah and it always does come to me as a surprise because i consider myself an american yeah um i was born in ohio you were born in colorado colorado there sorry i didn't know that um but yeah i mean it just uh, the way we look is not at the forefront of our mind so yeah. when somebody actually defines us by the way we look it, it's it's confusing i think um we have similar stories Mm-hmm. of a harrowing incident of this sort of like yeah. racial attack <laughs> and it was just our first reaction was confusion <laughs> yeah we should be more specific about that let's yeah. swap those stories like 20 seconds versions of those stories okay so i was in amherst massachusetts uh not the boonies but um i was there for yellow bar music festival and i was just walking by myself in the middle of the day and two guys started following me i was just like whatever they're following me and then one starts shouting He's shouting, get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Go back to your own country. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And it was just like, I was not horrified. I was not uh, scared, but I was confused that this was happening to me. I was like, why? (laughs) What? Well, my situation is almost exactly the same. I was walking in Boston as an undergrad somewhere near Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. I think I was walking to my apartment. Not even a small town. Yeah. Two guys behind me start shouting, you know, you fucking, I'm not going to say, it's a C word. You fucking hole in the wall. <laughs> Crevice in the wall. Sorry. Crevice in the wall, yes. <laughs> yeah, you fucking, you fucking blank constantly. Uh-huh. And... Again, I wasn't scared at all. I was more like, is this really happening? Yeah. I was so confused. And then I turned the corner and it was fine. Like, they walked on. But but there's that kind of overt racism. Yeah. Which confuses us. But I think, and people have been talking about this a lot. And I've seen it happen in musical situations. You know, the mm-hmm. microaggressions. Right, and that probably bothers you more. Yeah, it yeah. bothers me more. Um, can you think of a kind of common microaggression that you encounter in the music world? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing I would say is that there are more Asian females in music school than Asian males. Mm-hmm. There are so many of us that we easily get lumped into one type of player, mm-hmm. and then when anyone sees us, we're about to play they will think we're like that so I've had people say to me you're not what I expected you to sound like which is just a confirmation that they had an expectation which is just like okay but why do you think that when I step on stage like you're not seeing a pianist you're seeing an Asian type exactly Um, but I mean in terms of microaggressions I think you probably have more specific examples well this one just happened to me like this past weekend. Oh. I was in Austin, Texas mm-hmm. for a gig and 
I was playing the harpsichord, obviously, with the, with the orchestra. And this older gentleman had some questions about it. And mm-hmm. so he, I thought he was approaching me because he was pointing to the harpsichord. <laughs> and he started asking questions. But he actually addressed the concertmaster, who happens to be a white woman. Who doesn't play the harpsichord. Who doesn't play the harpsichord. And so every once in a while, I would try to interject right. with, with the answer. And then he would look at me and kind of register that he heard it. Yeah. But then immediately begin to ask more questions. As if, do you think that's tied to, well, I mean, he obviously saw that you were playing the concert, right? Yeah. So he knew you were the harpsichordist. One would assume he would ask the person playing the instrument what your expertise would answer as. Yeah. Like, but I mean, do you think the assumption with an older, somebody from the older set, and I can give you a lot of examples from Scott's parents, but just like people who have gone through the discrimination at the early part of the century, um, they think we don't speak English. Yeah. And do you think that might have been at the heart of it? Or do you think it was? You know, that thought didn't occur to me uh-huh. because I speak English. Right. <laughs> and you interjected, so he knew you possessed yeah, the language. Exactly. Um, that didn't occur to me at all. I just right. remember standing there being confused. You know, I remember talking to you about this specific incident. It just occurred to me. Yeah. There was a composer that came to University of Michigan to do a residency. I like this composer a lot, and he's not at all somebody who is, you know, ignorant. Yeah. But for some reason, we had to, so we had to talk in this piece. And um, when I would speak my lines, he just assumed that I had an accent because I did have, I don't, I do have a slight accent, but it's not an Asian accent. Mm-mm. As you put it, it's a New Jersey accent, right? Yeah, it's more New Jersey. Yeah, and so it just didn't sound the same as the others, but um, he just assumed that was because I'm not from here. He actually, like, point blank asked. He was just like, you're not, you weren't born here, right? Like, you actually came from somewhere else. And I was like, no, like, that's, that is not yeah. <laughs> at all. <laughs> like, and you <clears throat> should assume that maybe that accent is from a regional yeah. thing in the U.S., and it's also probably because your parents spoke. What language did you guys speak at home? Uh, Mandarin. Mandarin, yeah. yeah. So it's probably New Jersey plus your first language at home probably being Mandarin. Well, you and I have a similarity yeah. in this, is that we don't speak our native languages. because, no. And I don't even think I can call it a native language. Like, I went to one-year Chinese school. Mm. Well, I think I speak Korean a little bit better than you speak I'm sure Mandarin. You do. <laughs> I I can get by. Yeah. But I can safely say English is my like home language. Right. Right. That's yeah. the language that I think No, in. no, no. Francis. Music is my home language. <laughs> <laughs> my goal today is to get you to punch me eventually. It's gonna happen pretty soon. <laughs> But my language that I speak, Mm -hmm. that I think in, that I feel most comfortable in, is definitely English. And when people come up to me after performances and they go, oh my God, your English is so good. Oh yeah, I've had people say that. Yeah. Like, no shit, it's good. (laughs) It's probably better than yours. Yeah. I I know a lot of vocabulary, actually. (laughs) You do, actually. You do know a lot of big words. And yeah, you probably can. We've never actually played Scrabble, I realized. I think it's because you're scared. 
Well, uh, have you ever gotten the um, people talk more slowly to you? Um, that has not happened to me. Although, I might not have just noticed it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, maybe I'm too sensitive to it. Like. I mean, I certainly believe that it happens. It might also be because you're a very kind of small Asian girl. Oh yes, I am the stereotype in the petiteness. Yeah, as in well. the petiteness, and that something about you being a woman plus being an Asian. Yeah, you get asked a lot of stupid things yeah. that should not be asked to anyone. Like, uh, I have noticed a marked difference when when someone first addresses me and I haven't spoken to them yet, mm -hmm. and they're slow, like as if they are they speak specifically louder and more pronounced, and then I start to say my answer in quick, rapid English, and mm -hmm. they're just like, oh and they start to talk normally, which is just like hilarious every time. <laughs> so I'm like, oh yes, I am retarded. This is how you're talking to me. <laughs> yeah, that stuff is, I'm lucky that that has never happened to me. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of being emotionless or being accused of being emotionless, I've witnessed it. Uh -huh. In a master class, actually, back when I played piano, Hmm. where an Asian girl was playing, and I don't even remember what she was playing. Right. All I remember about this is the teacher of that master class essentially said, not in these words, and this is why it's so hard to talk about microaggressions, because people talk uh -huh. in a way where if you read it transcribed, it, it doesn't come across as offensive right but the meaning behind it the subtext is very and yeah I, and there's the facial expression yeah exactly the... and i remember the subtext clearly being oh you asians don't have passion right and i wasn't the only one that felt that because my piano teacher happens to also have been a korean man uh -huh. and he also brought that up as that being the subtext of yeah. what this woman said and I think that's the difficulty is when we complain about these things, people can easily say, oh, we're looking for those things to complain yeah. about. And I think, I think for the majority of my life, I wasn't looking for these things. Yeah. They kind of built up over time. Like just, you build up a sense of yourself from your reflection in other people uh -huh. and from the sort of estimations that are thrown back at you. Uh, in music school, it's just really clear that people don't think Asian people are individuals first yeah and it's uh i think this is propagated by the, the teachers as well like you said yeah um i think we need to give a lot of credit to african americans who actually fought really hard yeah to be where we are today well but i mean <clears throat> the point of that being is i think we're discussing that more mm -hmm as all the races in America are now realizing that it's not just black and white. Yeah. And so I think first we need to owe a debt of gratitude yeah. to be at that point. And the fact that we're even thinking about this is I think directly coming from the uh, civil rights movement where black people showed how what people said to them was demeaning. 
And unacceptable. And unacceptable. Yeah. And now I think we're taking confidence from that and saying that also applies to all the other races. And yeah. I think this is why we're actually talking about it more, and especially at this time, mm -hmm. because we've had the history of that fight, and now we're just sort of, I think, adding on to that fight. Well, I mean, yes, definitely that we owe a debt of gratitude. Yeah. We always do. But I think for us, the battle is more about resisting the invisibility cloak, right? Like, yeah. resist, like we are called the model minority because we don't fight back. And there is a common stereotype that you can push an Asian person, they will look the other way. Um, and I think that's what pisses me off about the Wall Street Journal article, is that they think it's okay to just squash us in a corner mm -hmm. and to pretend that we don't exist and not expect pushback. Yeah. But the fact is, is that a lot of people got angry and there was a lot of letters and a lot of uproar. And I think that Asians are starting to fight back and probably because they're emboldened by history. Um, but another reason um, I think is this stereotype is demeaning and it is something that we can't just keep on letting happen. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I brought up the whole black civil rights movement mm -hmm. is that we got to that point, you know, that community got to that point where they said this isn't right. Yeah. And now we are at that point yeah. where we need to make people aware that it's not just black and white. Yeah. So <clears throat> I actually have a great example of this. Okay. You know, the movie Blazing Saddles? I never watched it. Okay. Sorry. It's one of my favorite movies. It's uh -huh. notorious for having tons of racial slurs. Um, it was written by Richard Pryor as well as Mel right. Brooks. My favorite line in that movie, we'll give land to the N-word and the C-word, but not the Irish, which I thought was funny. Right, it's like this old Western, they're black people, they're Chinese people, and then they're Irish. Right. So this establishment guy is saying, okay, we'll give land to the N-word and the C's, yeah. but not the Irish. The whole point that I'm bringing this up is I used to watch that movie on TV when I grew up. Uh -huh. And I distinctly remember they bleeped out the N-word. They didn't bleep out they the C word. They didn't bleep out the C word. Hmm. Yeah, because Chinese people do not get as loudly angry and in your face yeah. about it. And now I think we've reached that point where we feel comfortable as Americans to tell people. I think our parents always felt uncomfortable. Oh yeah, I think there is a, cult, yeah. a cultural thing, a tradition of not wanting to make trouble. And this, I was wondering about this just because, um, for example, China is a communist country, right? Yeah. And there are, there's not an okayness with being yourself mm -hmm. and you kind of have to hide um, and conform. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there is a tradition of not making a fuss, not making trouble. Mm. And I think that is a previous generation thing that kind of contributes to the stereotype right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do agree that people are becoming okay with speaking up. Uh -huh. um, I remember as a young girl reading uh, Yoke and other publications that were sort of all about 
angry Asians <laughs> kind of speaking up mm-hmm. against like various injustices. Um, and specifically, like the most recent incident is the United incident, which yeah. we won't have to really go into. But I do think it's significant in the fact that he was considered a compliant individual mm-hmm. uh, because of his race. But we're speculating. Yeah. Um, but yet he turned out to be very much non-compliant, yeah. which is a shock, but also great because he didn't take it. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the most heartening things about that incident mm-hmm. were all the surrounding white people yelling at, why are you treating him this way? Yeah. Because there probably even a generation ago, people might have pointed and laughed at the poor Asian man. And it's like incidents like this that incense an entire group of people to actually speak yeah. up. Because not only were people, were Asian Americans pissed off, um, but people all over other countries yeah. were. And this is true. Like people in Korea, people in Taiwan, people in China were extremely angry. Yeah. And this was like marked uh-huh. around every media outlet. Yeah. And it's not just the Asian countries that were angry about this. This is what I felt hope. Because right. it's bad, and it shouldn't have happened, period. Mm-hmm. But the fact that everybody seemed to be angry about this, yeah. that I didn't hear any, like, oh, it was just a stupid Asian man. That yeah. was heartening. Right. That gives me hope. Right. Meaning that it's good to be angry, Mm-hmm. And, but I've always wondered what's the best way of right. dealing with this. Yeah. And yes, it's good to be angry and it's good to acknowledge what's going on. Yeah. But how should we deal with it? Me, maybe I'm just not a confrontational guy, mm-hmm. but I would rather deal with it through education right. rather than just kind of being in your face. I don't think that being in your face is necessarily a good thing always, but there are incidents when it's okay. Yeah. And I think the more important thing for me in terms of like how to go about mm-hmm. is letting people know that they can't act a certain way. Yeah. Like letting them know it's unacceptable. Um, I can think of several instances in recent weeks that have kind of bothered me a lot. And I think that it's important to be vocal yeah. in that way. Well, but how about those people whose intentions aren't to be hurtful? Right. And I think that you can educate them in a very kind and patient way. Yeah. I remember asking you, do you think it is your obligation to educate this person when they, when they do something like that to you? When they say something innocuous yeah. and they don't quite know that they're being insulting? I go back and forth on this. Mm-hmm. One, you've got to preserve your sanity. One, I have to preserve my sanity. (laughs) But two, as soon as, and I should say, this is my experience. Mm -hmm. As soon as white people hear racism, they get defensive. Right, and probably that word shouldn't be used in incidents of microaggression, right? But the thing is, is it is racist. Right. (laughs) And... Even if you say that's offensive, Mm -hmm. offensive equates to racism. So I've been struggling to explain to people why what they've said, even though it was meant, you know, they thought it was a completely innocuous... Right. Well, I don't think that there's a need to use trigger words. 
because I've, I've had to do this a lot actually with patrons who don't quite understand that you can't call me oriental uh -huh. um, because there is no actual offense tied to that term necessarily but it's become a negative thing yeah. for us. and same thing with like the guy i'm dating his parents don't uh -huh. converse with a lot of asian people and so they don't quite know that it's not okay yeah so how do you tell them i have a conversation with them about it and well can you like give <laughs> like, I'm an elderly person. I go, yeah. oh, you're such a nice oriental girl. What do you say to this person? Well, just, I'm not giving any indication in my face that mm -hmm. I'm mad. And I just say, just so you know, um, we don't actually use that term anymore. Mm -hmm. okay. It's just not something that is used very often. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people react negatively to it. Yeah. I understand that you did not mean anything by it, but I'm just letting you know. Yeah. And usually that sort of just starts a conversation in which nobody gets offended. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's exhausting because you have to kind of maneuver the territory. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I haven't quite figured out. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't know, but I think it's something we need to bother to do. Yeah. As it's hard. I don't do it every time either. But... I try to do it as much as I can. I know. Well, how often do you do it? Like, I was on a flight recently uh -huh. where a flight attendant just asked me electronics questions out of the blue, yeah. assuming that I would know yeah. about electronics, which I do not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm a musician. Even though you are the tech person for this podcast coupling. Which is quite scary. Do I have to tell that to the flight attendant, too? Do I have to start a conversation with the flight attendant? Can't I just be like any other person and just sit back and fly? Well, my and answer to you is, how would she know? I mean, yeah, you're right. She wouldn't know. I mean, I understand that situation. You're tired. You don't yeah. want to be bothered. But the thing is, she registered your offense. So then, do you owe it to her to explain your offense? Or do you think she just has to get that from the fact that you were offended. I mean, yeah, you're right. She should know why. Right. And at that point, I was, I just wanted to fly and get home. Yeah. So it was one of those instances where... She assumed that you knew something about tech. Yeah. And the way she put it was kind of annoying, right? It really was. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I don't know, when does it stop? the when everybody knows, right? Yeah. That's when it stops. Well, I guess it depends on how much you want people to understand. Yeah. Because the more people understand in a calm way, then the more they can actually remember. Like I remember it was a Louis C.K. Yeah. TV show, and then he had that episode where, I forgot the comedian's name, but he explained what was the origin of faggot. Mm -hmm. It was a bundle of sticks yeah. in which they burned people who were different. And after that, I really remembered never to use that yeah. word in a jesting context. Like, I mean, I would never use it in any other context, but it's just something that once you explain it to somebody, you take the, yeah. he was not mad. He just calmly explained it. Once you take that time, nobody will make that mistake again. That's true. And you're right. We need to speak up more. Yeah. I think in a way, it's hard for us as a group to, to speak up. Well, 
to mobilize and to speak up and to be taken seriously hmm. because we're so underrepresented yeah. in the media, right? There are tons, <clears throat> there are tons of gay characters on TV who then propagate why you don't use that word. Yeah. And I was actually surprised when I was, I don't remember what it was, but it was something from the 90s and uh -huh. how often they used fag. Yeah. And then now where you don't hear that word at all yeah. in media. And I think somehow we need to convince media heads that Asians are hungry to be represented. Yes. And in a way, we need to have a national platform like yeah. a TV show that broadcasts these things. And I mean, I will say, in the media, when they use an Asian, that is a thing, it's a token, mm -hmm. right? And as commonly for a lot of like, you have your token Mexican, you have your token African-American, you have your token gay man, that kind of thing. Everyone gets offended by that. Every group that's represented yeah. by that is offended. Um, but it's kind of like your microaggressions, right? It's like yeah. they're trying to include us. They just don't know how to do it without commenting on the fact that we're yeah. different. And I, I think that we are poised for change. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. I think more and more people are becoming vocal about it. Exactly. And in music school, I don't, I don't know. A lot of people say the next wave of music is coming from the East. Yeah. And maybe that's true. All my life, I've seen a lot of Asians around me. I grew up in New Jersey, so did you. <laughs> And I grew up in New York, not in New Jersey. Oh, sorry, sorry. Flushing Queens. It's like it's funny. My cellist is white, but he's married to a Taiwanese girl. Yeah. And he grew up in San Francisco, and he's just like, I don't understand why people are acting this way because I was the minority <laughs> in my school. Like what? So I guess the takeaway is that even if we feel like we shouldn't have to explain to people, we do. Like mm -hmm. we live here. And we live in this time. And That's right. If we explain, we'll make it better. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Last question, then. Okay. How can you explain from the stage? You actually have the privilege of seeing a community that mm -hmm. comes to your concert every day. Yeah. You can have conversations with them, but can you also help improve and educate by how you play. Yeah. And I think just by the virtue of the fact that I'm speaking in English comfortably and I don't have an accent and I play the way I do. <laughs> don't give me that face. I, I don't have an Asian accent, I okay? Know. I, know. I couldn't even pretend to have one if I wanted to. But from the stage, I think you're right. Our best tool is to just be who we are and dispel this stereotype. Yeah. Um, I know I don't play like that misconception well, yeah, of what other that, Asians are. Exactly. And I mean, I don't think anyone wants to identify with that. Yeah. So, I mean, what would you suggest? Would you suggest more, being more articulate about? I don't know. That's why I sort of asked the question. I feel yeah. like, is there a way of dispelling judgment just by how you look? Yeah, there's several methods, right? Yeah. One is that you don't make it an issue. Uh -huh. You just are who you are, and if somebody makes an issue, they can. You're just like I don't understand where yeah. you're coming from, um, and they have to step up to what is progressive, mm -hmm. or you actually address it, um, 
it's not really the right form. A classical music concert isn't a form to talk about race. No. Um, so in that way, it's a little awkward. Yeah. I think private conversation is more of a place to it's talk about it. it. Um, well, I mean, I guess just by playing mm -hmm. should dispel the stereotype. I've sort of tried, I'm trying this out. Yeah. It's the reverse microaggression, uh -huh. where I tried this out on a very sympathetic white friend, actually. Oh, yeah? He, he thought that it might be a good strategy. We were at a Korean restaurant mm -hmm. where he was basically one of two white people. <laughs> and we were actually talking about microaggressions, and he gets it. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, would this work? I'm like, so, is it okay? You, you, there are. There's one other white person here. <laughs> How do you react? He, well, he laughed because he thought he knew where I was coming from. Yeah. But he said, "Yeah, that could be very effective." Yeah. And I think maybe. So aggressively giving them the same treatment to give you. Well, it's just sort of making them see it in another light. Yeah. Right. Oh, that food looks really interesting. Oh, you eat it with sticks. Right? And then I can go, oh, that food looks really interesting. You just boil all the flavor out of it. Yeah. And you stab it with some barbaric device to <laughs> shovel it in your mouth. You know? That just reminds me of a specific incident of like a certain older man asking me if I cooked dumplings for my boyfriend. And I said, no, I don't cook dumplings and walked away. <laughs> like, I, I didn't yeah. know what else to say, but know. it was just like, I don't cook that food. I don't know. Do you cook pierogies for your wife? <laughs> <laughs> I don't cook. He cooks, so whatever. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> anyway. Yeah. What are you obsessed with? Okay, so I get to do this. Um, I've been teasing Franny with my uh, book recommendations because I'm two for two. Yeah. Did you finish the... Luminaries, yes. What did you think? I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, interestingly enough, this is another female writer, a young female writer. Well, I actually don't know how young she is. Because the, the other book I recommended to Franny was Fates and Furies, and then The Luminaries, which are both young females who are super talented. And then uh, this one is Station Eleven. Uh, have you heard of it? You've recommended this to me before. I have? <laughs> yeah. But I just finished it. Well, you told me to check out Station Oh, 11. I told you to check it out when I was downloading it. Oh, okay. Oh. But well, I now I can give you an informed recommendation. Yeah, but I haven't been able to find it, actually, because I actually like to read physical books now. Right. And instead of, like, ordering it from Amazon, I actually like to go to a store. Yeah. So I haven't been able to find it. Huh. So give me your informed opinion about Station Eleven. Well, I love the book because, one, it is an odd apocalyptical novel. Uh -huh. Like it's not really about the apocalypse and it's about building the civilization after. Yeah. And so this is the premise is that it basically follows different storylines but one of them is a young girl that's in a traveling symphony. Hmm. And this is 20 years after the world has essentially ended. 99% of people have died and they go and travel from town to town putting on concerts of, of Beethoven and Shakespeare. Huh. And it's just like a troupe of actors and musicians that have banded together as a community to survive but that music and art is what is essential to survival to them 
And I think the quote, it's a Star Trek quote, is um, survival is insufficient. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not written like an apocalyptic novel. It's well, written like a literary one. Yeah. And it's beautifully written. I, I got really invested in the characters. Well, first of all, that sounds like something that I'd <coughs> like to read. Second of all, literary. I don't know if I like that word, but that's probably I'm another using, podcast. I'm using something because a lot of people in genre, yeah, yeah. They, they put things in a genre. It's the exactly. same thing like we're talking about. We're putting it in a box. We're putting it so in I'm a box. So I'm just telling you it's not like that genre. It's <laughs> different. Well, speaking of genre, uh-huh. what I'm obsessed with right now, since I've been driving a lot, uh-huh. I've been listening to the entirety of the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. Oh. And I've been doing that specifically because the movie adaptation of it is coming out in August. And it's interesting because the movie is not an adaptation of the book series, per se, but it's actually sort of a sequel. Oh, cool. So did he co-write it or write the screenplay? I'm not sure. I know he approved the story. Okay. I mean, if you haven't read The Dark Tower, uh, which is fine, I can't speak too much about this point. All I'll say is that the ending of the book series was very open-ended, and it was very easy to continue from the beginning with changes. And I think the movie adaptation is going that route, rather than being a straight adaptation of the books. Anyway, so what I really like about the Dark Tower series Mm -hmm. is... It's actually genre-busting. Stephen King is known to be a horror writer, and exclusively a horror writer, right? Yeah. Except that he's written some very beautiful, what you would call literary fiction. Right. The Green Mile being a great example. Uh People love the Shawshank Redemption and don't realize that Stephen King wrote that. Yeah, I didn't know that, actually. Um, So he's not just horror. So he's a beautiful writer, and in the Dark Tower series... He combines, somehow combines, horror with Western, with time travel, with... So sci-fi. Sci-fi, yeah. With fantasy. Okay. All of these genres in one series. So it's like sort of this ancient society, which is where the Western part comes in because Mm. he's out on this quest. But he's in desert land but there are robots there are other dimensions that you can travel we it's never really made clear and i think that's the whole point of it and what i like about it is i'm paraphrasing a dialogue between two characters in it Mm -hmm. is they sit around tell stories on a campfire that's something that they like to do and it's an effective narrative device Well, you never hear the stories. It's just something. But this cowboy says to this guy who comes from our world, New York from our world, said, do the people of your world only like stories of one flavor? Of one flavor? Yeah, meaning the genre. Right. And usually... I like the way that's put. Yeah, and the guy said, yeah, we normally don't like our food to touch. (laughs) But here, he's really mixing it all together. And I've always loved the Dark Tower series. How many books? Seven. Actually, eight. That's an investment. (laughs) Is it something that I could actually get through on 
I will say the first book Stephen King I think started when he was 19. Okay. And so it's probably it's probably the most awkward book of the seven. So give it some patience. Give it some patience. Right. He did publish a revised version, so you should get the revised version. But okay. there's still a lot of like awkwardness in there. Book two is classic 1980s Stephen King, and it's great. And then I think it just is. They're a great series. From so are you going to do installments of it, or is it one movie? I think they're seeing how this movie does. Because I mean, if you can separate a slim Tolkien book. Into three long ass movies, yeah. I would think that an eight volume series would deserve eight movies like Harry Potter. Or yeah, I mean, that's what I think all Stephen King fans would hope for, but. I see. Again, Hollywood doesn't know. They love that's Stephen it. King movies, though. Not always. Oh, really? Um, the cool thing about the Dark Tower series, though, is that it actually ties in with. A lot of things that Stephen King wrote. Oh, so it's like kind of he created a world. Yeah, he created like the like his whole oeuvre, if you will, oeuvre, <laughs> is united in this world. Uh-huh. So, anyway, the Dark Tower, I love it. Read it. All right, so All right. that's it for so many wrong notes. Yeah, check us out on our website. So many wrong notes dot com. And then, if you haven't already. Please leave us a review on iTunes. We need them and we want to hear from you. And it will help other people find out about our musical conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and Facebook. Don't forget Facebook. Facebook. All right. Let's just end okay. this shit.